Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Matthew 19. If you've been paying any attention to the culture in the United States of America over the first couple decades of the 21st century, you have seen a what could be described as a war, a culture war uh, that has centered a lot of around a discussion on marriage, even to the point where we're struggling to come up with a definition. What is marriage? And it leads to other questions in our society where now it's up for debate, well, what is a man and what is a woman? And one thing that you will be told if you engage in this discussion uh, out in the world is, well, Jesus never said anything about that, so why should I? Let's just take one of the battlegrounds in this war regarding uh, marriage uh, has been same-sex marriage. And I've heard people say, well, Jesus didn't talk about that, so why should I? And that's where I want you to notice our passage today and say, "Mm, I'm going to throw a flag on the play next time somebody tells me that, that Jesus never talked about homosexuality or Jesus never talked about transgenderism or all of these other things that, oh, actually, what if he did? Uh, And we'll see that in our passage, and we'll see something even deeper, that uh, some of the battlegrounds of our culture, the problem actually runs deeper, and and the decay in our society started uh, much earlier than just uh, 20, 25 years ago, and that maybe some of this actually will hit closer to home uh, than you might think. Let's look at Matthew 19 today, which begins with uh, a question about marriage. Uh, he goes into Galilee and he goes away from Galilee and goes into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Uh, and large crowds are following him and he's healing, but Pharisees come up to him and test him. So again, this doesn't seem to be a good faith question. Uh, they're testing him uh, and probably trying to trip him up in, in what he is saying. And they say, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And then look at what Jesus said. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus might not say the words same-sex attraction. He might not say any of the terms that we might use in modern society to talk about uh, people who are were born with in one sex, but want to present as a different gender. Uh, no, but he uses biblical clear language that I think should settle all of those issues. God created them male and female, and that's an issue of God's creation, not our choice. And marriage is between one man and one woman for life, and that is the clear teaching of the Word of God. So, even though this, the context of this question may not be the same as our context, the Word of God is clear, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. But let's look more at the original context, because originally this was a question about 
divorce. And when lots of people talk about the war on marriage, even in uh, the society of the United States, they're really talking about the past few decades and in particular, this idea of same-sex marriage. But what if the war on marriage started much earlier in our society as divorce became more and more acceptable for whatever reason. And isn't that exactly what Jesus is speaking against here? Uh, Jesus is speaking clearly about the permanence and the priority of marriage. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And then they ask, well, why then did Moses command uh, to one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. Now, this syncs up with some of what we see back in Matthew 5, when Jesus is going through his whole section on, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and he addresses divorce there. And then this really is an elaboration going more in depth on what he has said in chapter 5. But we should see here, no, divorce is not God's plan. And if you divorce your wife and marry another, that's adultery in God's eyes. Now, I do believe he gives one exception there for divorce. And I would say, I I think it applies to remarriage except for sexual immorality. And I think there's other passages in the Bible that make it clear that when the marriage covenant has been broken by infidelity, by sexual immorality, adultery, uh, that, that the innocent party, there is an exception for them towards divorce. Now, does that mean that's what that person should always do? Well, not necessarily, because again, we see the priority here on marriage, but there is that exception, I would argue, clearly there. Uh, marriage is one man, one woman for life. There's no just backdoor out if you're not getting what you want. And this is where we really are going to get to some deeper issues that I think become clear. It's interesting what the disciples say. If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Uh, that That's a interesting statement. They're like, whoa, if marriage really is that intense of a commitment, maybe it's better not to make that commitment. And Jesus doesn't just say, oh no, guys, don't, don't. marriage is just wonderful and it'll make you whole as a person and all of your wildest dreams will come true and love, true love will follow you forever. No, that's not what Jesus says. And I don't think that's what matches up with the rest of the Bible's teaching about marriage. We have to ask, what is the purpose of marriage? And we live in a culture where the purpose of marriage has become to make me happy. I'm going to get married because that will make me happy. And I'm going to get married to this person because they make me happy. And when they don't make me happy anymore, well, then the marriage is over and I'm going to look for somebody else to make me happy. That is a worldly, sinful way to think about God's covenant of marriage. And that way of thinking has unfortunately been prevalent for a lot more than the last couple decades. Uh, And that thinking will be prevalent anywhere really the word of God doesn't reign because that is the fleshly way to think. I'm going to do what makes me happy. Now, uh, Jesus goes on to talk about, uh, well, there's other people because not everyone is going to get married. And he uses the term here, at least in the ESV translated eunuchs. Uh, Now, a eunuch was someone who was unable to have children and, and 
usually even unable to have any sexual activity at all. And he talks about, hey, there are some who have been so from birth as a a form of some birth defect that they are not able to procreate or have children. Uh, And then there are those who have been made eunuchs by men. And you see this, think of the book of Esther, right? That the men uh, that would guard uh, the harems of these ancient kings, well, they were eunuchs so that we didn't have to worry about them being tempted uh, to do anything inappropriate with any of these women that they were guarding because they were physically unable to. Often these men were castrated before they would fulfill this role of service. But then he talks about those who are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. And that's where I think even you see Paul referring to singleness as a gift and and Jesus saying, hey, the one who is able to receive it, receive it. But notice he talks about those who basically, hey, they're giving up sexual activity. They're giving up marriage for the sake of the kingdom. This wasn't made a choice made for them by others. This wasn't something that um, was, was by birth. Uh, this is a choice they are making for the kingdom. And that's where I think we come back to really, why are we doing what we're doing? Whether you're married or whether you're single, uh, the goal should not be, I'm doing this to please myself. I'm doing this for my own satisfaction. And if you would have found that the much younger me, probably slightly before I gave up on the idea that girls had cooties, I would have said, yeah, I don't want to get married. Uh, You know, look, when you're single, all you have to worry about is yourself and think even the extra money that you'll have, not having to take care of a wife or kids. That sounds pretty good to me. At that point, probably the sixth or seventh grade me would have said, I want to be a bachelor till the rapture. Well, that was entirely the wrong way to think about it. That was all about me. And unfortunately, there's a lot of married people that that it's all about them too. And so whether you're single or married, guess what? It's not all about you. God is calling you to live for his kingdom, whether you're married or single. And if you are married, God is calling you to lay down your desires for those of your spouse. And if you are married today and you're listening to this and and you are struggling in your marriage and even you're starting to think, eh, maybe I I should get out of this marriage. I want to plead with you to listen to the word of God. Listen to the clear teaching of Jesus Christ right here and and trust his way is best and and learn to lean into that. And if you need help, reach out and get help from somebody. A couple other things we see in this passage. Next, we see a passage about children. And our society does not value marriage like it should. Our society does not value children like it should. And here you see a brief yet powerful statement from Jesus on the value that even he placed on children. And likely, I mean, these were very young children. You get the sense that these were infants. And lots of times that especially, even for those that have kids, well, that's the age where they're the hardest and they're the most difficult. Well, you know, Jesus is is saying, let the children come to me. And he places a value on them. And then we get to the story of the rich young man, most commonly referred to as the rich young ruler. And we see here, again, this is a familiar story. If you've read the Bible, that this person come and basically say, how do I get eternal life? And I've kept all of the commandments. And Jesus says, well, go sell everything that you have and follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. Now, I just want to give you a couple thoughts to help you with this passage, because one thing we want to do with this whole discussion of commandments and Jesus saying, leave everything you have and follow me, we want to... uh, 
understand, well, how does that work with this idea of justification by faith? I'm not saved by keeping the commandments. I'm saved by faith in Christ. And how does that fit into this passage? And I think sometimes it's tempting to go too much into Romans or other passages and bring too many of those ideas into this passage. I'm not against reading passages and using other passages from the Bible to help us make sense of them. But if you want another passage from the Bible to help you make sense of this passage here at the end of Matthew 19, it would be what Jesus has already said in Matthew 6, where he made it clear you can't serve two masters. And at the end of that verse, Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God and money. So I don't think it's best to understand the story of the rich young ruler as a big, deep explanation on justification by faith as opposed to works. No, it's a very powerful story that shows you cannot serve God and money. This guy could not leave behind his money to serve and follow Jesus Christ. And notice when the disciples say, well, we've left everything and followed you. Uh, Jesus said, guys, you missed the whole point about justification by faith that I just made. No, he says, that's right, basically. And you will be rewarded. Because as the other thing he says in Matthew 6 is lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And, and that's the same phrase he tells this man. You will have treasure in heaven if you sell everything you have and give to the poor and follow me. So this story really is a powerful um, presentation on where where is your heart? Is your heart mastered by riches and the love of riches, or is your heart set on heaven? And you will lay aside riches to lay up treasure in heaven. Uh, That, I think, is the point of this story. If you simply understand it in light of what Matthew has already said and already presented as the teaching of Jesus. But a common denominator in all of this, it's not about us. Because lots of times we want wealth to serve ourselves. A biblical understanding of singleness or a biblical understanding of marriage. It's not going to come back to us. It's really going to be focused on Christ and on His kingdom. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.